Hello and good morning, amazing GT Church family. Uh, it's good to be in the house of the Lord today, amen? Amen. Well, I have the great honor and privilege of preaching the word today and kicking off this series that we're doing called I Am as we head into Easter. Can you believe it? Out there buying Easter bunnies already. How many of you got your Easter baskets ready? I know it's weird to talk about the end of March, but I'm shocked when I go out to the stores and like, they're just, they're flying it off the shelf, man. Retail, they get it out there. Before you know it, it's back to school stuff, and then, man, another year is gone. Uh, I marvel at that. It's amazing. But here we are, March 27th, heading into an Easter series, and this focus on I am is focusing on who am I? Who are we um, as humans? Who are we designed to be? Who am I in Christ Jesus? And so we want to focus on that and take a couple of different truths uh, from Scripture as we uh, talk about this over the course of several weeks here. And uh, I hope you don't miss a single one and that you find it enriching as we dig into the Word of God together. And so I'm always grateful for this opportunity. I'd like to thank our lead pastor, Pastor Scott Kramer, for the opportunity. And just, I, I love seeing this man lead. Uh, I said this to him earlier today, and I'd just like to publicly honor him again. Just how much he prays for, for each and every one of us. You know, he was, sent me a text last night praying for me, you know, to encourage me for today. You know, he walks this room Tuesdays, Sunday mornings, and amongst many others, and inspires us as staff to do the same. So one thing I can tell you today is that you've been prayed for. The seat that you're sitting in right now has been covered in prayer for whomever might occupy it so that you can encounter God and hear from him in a special, unique way. And I just love that about our pastor. So let's give it up for him. Don't want to embarrass him, but just thank you. Appreciate your leadership and uh, just believe in for great things as, as God continues to use you and, and lead in this house. All right, let's jump into the word of God this morning. We're going to get straight in. And uh, we're going to go to the book of beginnings, Genesis, because uh, if you're going to begin with something, it's best to go to the beginning. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, the word of God says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Lord, once again, we thank you uh, just uh, for a new day, uh, to, to be alive, to have breath in our lungs today, to be here gathered as your church, uh, to be inspired and encouraged, God, and uh, just to receive strength uh, for, for a new week, Lord, and uh, to encounter you and, and what you would say to us today. So, God, I pray that you would use this time as we dig into the word that uh, you would reveal yourself to us today, God, and, and by your Holy Spirit, speak to us exactly what it is that we need to walk away with today, Lord God. So we give this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, the... 17th century French philosopher uh, Rene Descartes concluded that he doubted everything except the fact that he doubted. But the fact that he doubted proved that he was thinking. And the fact that he was thinking proved that he existed. Hence his famous phrase, cogito ergo sum, 
which of course means I think, therefore I am. And no, I'm not that smart. Thank you, Dr. David Campbell, for helping me with some of that uh, French philosophy history there. But a very famous phrase, I think, therefore I am. You know, at that point in time, there was a big turning point. You know, there was big things happening in the world. Uh, in the church world, it was the Reformation. Lots was changing in, in challenging some of the corruption uh, in the Catholic Church that caused the, the Protestant movement. So there's people, but at the same time, we'd call it the Enlightenment. And there was philosophers rising up that started to walk away from biblical truth. And we're living in times that are, are a result of that divorce, if you will, from the Word of God into philosophy and walking down that road. But what a conclusion. I think, therefore, I am. Now, I'm not going to spend time expounding on Enlightenment period philosophers, though I know that you wish I would, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, but I'm using this, this phrase, I think, therefore, I am, as a springboard for this series that we're going to be in. And our purpose uh, in diving into this subject is not to determine that, that we exist. I think we all know that we exist. No, we want to discover our new and true selves in Christ and live our lives in light of that revelation. So whether you've been a follower of Jesus a long time, maybe you're new to church and you're still trying to work out this whole religion thing or relationship with Jesus thing, wherever you find yourself in that journey today, I think we all need to discover and rediscover and continue to encounter our new and true selves in Christ and live our lives in light of that revelation on a daily basis. And so that's basically what we're talking about today. You know, when I think about I am, or who am I, or what am I, uh, it's, it's speaking about identity. What is our true identity, our new and true selves in Christ? What is our identity? And identity is something that we think about quite a bit as humans. You know, we, we might try to find our identity in what we do. Uh, in, in our, maybe our ethnic background, maybe in our political party affiliation. We try to find our identity in lots of different circles and spheres of life. Um, we might ask, who am I? What's my purpose? We're trying to find our niche in this life. And, you know, to, to ask those types of questions about oneself is not inherently wrong. It can actually be a good thing to explore that, to get into your niche in life. To, you know, we each have unique giftings and, and things that we can offer this world. And it, and it is good to be self-aware. It is good to have self-care. But it's not good to be selfish and, and, and to be so self-absorbed. And I, and I think that we see a lot of that today just as a natural byproduct of this huge emphasis on discovering self. And I know that you can go down this road, and, and though there's the potential for good, there's also the potential to be led in the opposite direction of truth. There are many today that think themselves to be things they are indeed not, and pre prevailing ideologies of secular society are pushing this kind of thinking on all of us. You know, if you think about, for instance, the scripture that I opened up with today, for many people in our culture, that is probably the most controversial thing I could read. Number one, that God created everything. And number two, that he created mankind as male and female. How is this controversy? Yet this is the times that we live in. 
You take gender dysphoria, for instance. This is a very real condition that affects and torments many people, people God loves, people that we need to love and have compassion for. But it's not loving, it's not loving and it's not compassionate to deny the disorder and try to change all the rules and treat people as they think themselves to be rather than the gender that they are according to their natural and biological makeup. I know I'm tiptoeing on very dangerous ground, even in the church world, but this is not a political thing. This is a word of God thing. This is a word of God thing. And as Christians, this is the basis for our life and godliness, nothing else. This is where we go to to find our true identity and to live from that place of revelation. So I think, therefore I am, has become quite literally, for some, I think it, so it must be the truth. I think this, I feel this, this is my truth, and so on and so forth, and this is the pathway that we see many on. In this series, we are seeking uh, to, and, and I know that we will learn from the scriptures, from the God-breathed and inerrant and infallible word of God, that answering the question, who am I? can only accurately be answered by the one who says, I am that I am, in Exodus 3.14. Knowing who we are can only be found in knowing whose we are, not only to achieve a healthy view of self, but also to achieve a healthy view of others and our role in the world. The proverb says this, whoever mocks the poor shows contempt for their maker. Whoever gloats over disaster will not go unpunished. We all have the same maker. And to desecrate ourselves or others by diminishing, devaluing, discriminating, or destroying through thought, word, and deed is showing contempt for our maker. And it is a punishable offense, according to the scripture that I just read. You know, and there's nothing wrong with attacking ideas. You know, we've lost the ability to have healthy debate in society anymore, huh? We don't need to tear people down just because we believe something differently. We need to recapture and, and, and reclaim the ability to be able to dialogue and converse and refute, uh, but still value one another as human beings. And this is very important, and I believe that if we get what we're talking about today, that's going to set us up to do just that. James, the brother of Jesus, writes this. He said, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. You know, James had a very uh, unique opportunity to grow up with Jesus as his brother. I mean, that's pretty amazing, probably pretty annoying, too. Up, oh, Jesus. <laughs> Did it again. <laughs> Mr. Perfect, you know. No, what's interesting, though, is that there's a scripture in John that, and I will get back to my notes, where it says even his own brothers didn't believe him. So after all those years, you think about how incognito Jesus lived for 30 years in developing the, God's master plan for revealing the kingdom of God and for his distinctive act, his decisive act of dying on the cross and rising again in three days. But we see that one of his, at least one of his brothers, and probably more, came to this knowledge and revelation, man, Jesus truly is and was the Son of God. But he says that all human beings have been made in God's likeness. So regardless of your 
your belief status, whether you're a, a believer in the message about Jesus or whether you're an unbeliever, doesn't change the fact that we are all made in the image and likeness of God. And those of us that have the responsibility of carrying this word out and living this out and declaring this message about Jesus have to see each other that way and hopefully help people discover that. Now, only the Holy Spirit can truly reveal who the, who the Father is and who Jesus is, but he wants to use us as conduits, as we often hear uh, in, in this house. He wants to use us as conduits. And so we all are image bearers of God. There was another French philosopher by the name of Voltaire. Maybe I am going to expound on them. God created us in his image, he said, and then we returned the favor. <laughs> Pretty profound. And so because of sin, we have a tendency to want to interpret the God we encounter in Scripture according to the way that we understand, according to the way that feels more comfortable or palatable to us, things that, things that we can kind of have a little bit more control and understanding of rather than maybe taking Scripture for what it's actually trying to say to us because sometimes it's hard truths that are tough to swallow. But that's important. We need that. We need that. And so I know I've been guilty of it myself, of trying to create a God in my image and likeness according to what I see or what I've heard or what I would like the scriptures to say. Many of us have done that. And to be honest with you, there's something important about that. If we never try to get personal with the scriptures, we'll always hold it at arm's length and it, will, it can never get close enough to have true impact on us. So there's, to an extent, it's good to read into Scripture, but we can't stay there. The important thing is being in community with other believers, being in a life group, coming to church on Sundays, getting involved in classes, being around other believers, getting into the Word together. It's important to read Scriptures publicly, out loud, with other people, discuss it. You know, th this is an important thing to do. It will help us discover uh, God's truths in a, in a powerful way. But sin has, has kind of just taken hold and, and has marred the image of God. We've, we've attempted to fashion a God in our image and likeness rather than the other way around and letting that truth sink in and influence us. And we can see, even if you study church history, you know, the church hasn't always gotten it right. We still get things wrong today. And I'm talking about capital C, church. You know, and, and why is that? It's for that, that very thing right there. We, we try to take control and create God into our image and likeness, the Jesus that we want, the Jesus that's more popular, the Jesus that's more palatable for society, you know, and, and we can cause lots of problems. We can cause discord in the body where there needs to be unity in the body of Christ. We can, we can harm people, hurt people, and there's so much of this that goes on, even in church leaders, you know, and... and and that's something that even for me personally, man, I've been impacted by a lot of great Christian men, godly men, leaders that have just fallen big time, people I looked up to, people that were my heroes, and, and it's, it, it hurts to see that happen. But it's such a reminder that we are all susceptible. We are all susceptible. We are deeply infected with the sin problem. Even though Jesus has dealt with it on the cross, it no longer has power over us unless we allow it 
to have power over us, but it still exists and it can still ruin our lives if we get within an inch of it. And so it's so important and such a humbling reminder, a sobering reminder. Man, I don't want to stray from God's truth. I don't want to stray from the reality of what Scripture is trying to tell me and how I should live. So I want to talk about the image of God. It's often expressed using the Latin term, Amago Dei. And so today we'll explore as best we can in the time that we have these three things. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? What does the Bible actually mean to communicate? And how do I reorder my life around that definition? And today, if you leave with more questions than answers, that's a good thing. And, I, and I'm good with that. Uh, I think it's important to have lots of questions. You know, Jesus amazed people at, in, in the temple at the age of 12 with his questions. <laughs> Questioning is good, but it's from the right heart. So what does image of God mean? Or what does the Bible uh, mean by that? And what does it mean to communicate? How do we reorder our lives around that definition? So let's start there. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? Now, in the past few years, I've been uh, reading the works of, of a great scholar and theologian by the name of Dr. Michael Heiser, and uh, he is such a big Bible nerd, which I love. I'm an aspiring Bible nerd myself. Um, it was supposed to be a joke, but you know. Thanks, Kramer. The Unseen Realm is a great book that he wrote and uh, definitely had a great impact on me and my study. Uh, and, and I got clarity on this term that I had been exposed to before, but that he defined in such a way that man, I just like, man, I, I get this. I get it now. I love this. I'm, I'm digging into this. And so he describes God creating humanity in his image and likeness, and, and that term right there, image and likeness, as us being divine imagers. So you are a divine imager. I'm a divine imager. And so this term is best understood in breaking down the text in Genesis that we opened up with. And looking at the original language, which is Hebrew, we need to understand the grammar and, and how it's working there in that sentence uh, to help it unlock the meaning so that we can rightly apply God's word. And so we'll return to that in a moment. First, let's look at the scripture again itself. And like the focus on the word in within certain parts of these verses. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And real quick noting, when God decide, decides to create in his own image and likeness, after creating so many amazing things, he created us. Feel about that? You know, look around the room right now. It's pretty amazing. You carry the image and likeness of God. All right, so let's get back to the grammar here. And thanks to Dr. Heiser for this breakdown. So the word in, in English, has... Multifunctional use, as we will see the Hebrew does as well. Uh, so I can say, I put the dirty clothes in the hamper. My wife loves when I actually do that. I don't often do it. 
But if I could say with truthfully, I put the dirty clothes in the hamper. The preposition here uh, is describing a location. If I say I broke the glass in pieces, I'm describing the results of an action. If someone were to say I work in education, the preposition here denotes that a person works as an educator or principal or teacher of some sort. And so the Hebrew actually works according to that, that last example that I gave you. When it says that we are created in the image and likeness of God, it means that we are created as the image and likeness of God. Small little shift in understanding, but I think it has profound implications of how we view that and apply that to our lives. Being a divine imager speaks of our status in the created order, speaks of our vocation, our responsibility to rule and have dominion as representatives of God on the earth, which is why we see the mandate that follows the creation of humans. In Genesis 1.28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. It's God's blessing, but it's also a mandate. And so this is what God does. He creates in his image and likeness. And in having humanity that bears this image, they are as his image. What does that mean? He, he wants them to be fruitful and to increase in number. Go on creating in your image and likeness. Rule the good creation that God put in order. Take care of it. So we'll see more of that as we go on here. Genesis 2, verse 4 and 7, it says, This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. Someone needs to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Okay, God creates the man outside somewhere in this earth that he created out of the dust of the ground. Now, Genesis 2.8, now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. So man is created outside. God decides, all right, I'm going to put you inside of this beautiful, perfect garden. Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to take care of it. All right, so man is formed in the image and likeness of God. God breathes into him. He becomes animated. He becomes a living being. Then God puts him inside of another specific location inside of a garden, all right? The whole world was not the garden. It was a specific location. And then he gives him the vocation of working it and taking care of this garden. So man is placed in the garden and given responsibility to care for it and maintain it. So not only is he placed, not only is he given responsibility, he also has the command to take care of it and to have all, hey, all of this is for you. All of the trees you can eat from, but don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So with that, there's a command there. So can we obey 
the commands of the one who created us. That's needed. That's necessary. You know, when it comes to any relationship, you don't want somebody that is programmed to love you in return. Who wants that? I mean, maybe there's some people now. I mean, we, let's be honest. We live in a crazy world, virtual reality, whatever. That's not God's divine design. But most of us want somebody, you know, everybody wants somebody. You know, we, we, want, we want somebody to choose us for us, you know, for, for who we are. And we want to be able to love in that same way. And so God creates this. And so there needs to be an opportunity to choose something else. If we, Because God didn't just program us to, to love him in return, to honor him in return. He wants us to use the free will that he gave us to choose that willingly, to choose that for ourselves. And when I think about what I, what I read, you know, so going on, God created the male and female Man, man is then given a companion after he's placed in the garden. He can't find any suitable helper. None of the animals fit the criteria. So God fashions a, a, a woman out of a part of the man who also possesses the qualities of the divine. She's also a divine imager that corresponds to the man as an indispensable companion, each providing for one another what each lacked in themselves. And you know, Today, we are seeing more than ever a strategic attack on gender itself. We've seen a, 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 an attack, uh, and, and some of it, you know, some things were good. Listen, I don't, I don't want to offend anybody today, but I also want to speak truthfully out of God's word, and we need to be able to think through these things. So if you leave with questions or you leave offended, that's not my heart, email me. I'd love to talk more about it. But here's, here's some things. There's always some unintended consequences for things that are good. For instance, I'll take a quick example here. You know, there was a time that not every Christian could have a Bible and could read it for themselves. No, only the priest told you what was in the Bible and told you what it meant. So now we had wonderful people like Wyndham Tyndale that, that, that put their lives on the line so that Christians could have Anybody, whether, whether you're a farmer or, or an aristocrat, you could have the word of God in your own hands, in your own house. And many gave their lives, you know, blood. They, they were burned at the stake for such a notion. Can you believe that? And so, a very good thing, right? We're all grateful that we can have this. Man, we have it on our computers now. We have it on our phones now. But here's the thing. Then, then it was, well, we've got to get it into the language of all the people. And that sounds like a good thing. So there's all these things, you know, let, let's get, you know, a, a Latin version of the Bible, let's get a Greek version, you know, let's get uh, Italian, whatever. And then it creates this segregation. So where it could be good, hey, I'm Polish, and I'm going to go to a Polish church, and I understand it in the Polish language, whatever. It's good. Unintended consequence, years later, we have people that don't know how to be a multicultural expression of the divine image, you know, and it was an unintended consequence. It caused lots of division. You know, people just want to be with their people. You know, so th these are some things that we're seeing outworking in our, very, in our very lifetime. All right? So another thing is this, the feminist movement. Listen, there are some good things. Women didn't have their rightful place in society for a long time. But an unintended consequence has gotten us to where we are now that we don't even know the difference of a man and a woman. You can be whatever you want to be. What is gender roles? Listen, a man can't be as nurturing to a child as a woman is designed to be by the creator. 
And a woman can't bring the strength and, and, the, and the, 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 the nature that a father brings. And I'm not saying that women aren't, listen, hear, hear what I'm saying here. There's a distinction. And so what we have is this attack on gender, on gender roles, on marriage and the family and Christians. GT Church, we need to reclaim this. Listen, families operating under the divine design, man, this is what can bring change to any culture and society through the message of Jesus. Listen, it's Christian families that have that right model functioning. And, and listen, if you're a single parent here, I'm not trying to solo you out. Listen, there are circumstances, there are consequences to sin that happens and things aren't your fault. You are not what happened to you. But it doesn't mean that you can't operate in what God has put inside of you to be and to do as a mother, as a father, as a spouse, whatever it might be. It's, it's so important. These things matter. These things are biblical things, they're not political things, but they've become so convoluted in politics that it's disgusting, church. It's disgusting. Listen, I don't care what you've registered to vote as so you can be a part of primaries or whatever it is. Don't find your identity in that. Find your identity in the living, active word of God because this is the hope of the world. Jesus wants us to be his hands and his feet to recapture us as his divine imagers. This is all of us. So what does the Bible mean to communicate? The next thing. Jesus and Paul both in the New Testament believed that the Genesis account of the creation of humanity was historically accurate. And so that's important. If Jesus believes it, then I believe it. And so there's something to be said about that. I'm not going to get into those scriptures now. But humanity is set apart from the rest of creation. And it's the only species that has the status of divine imagers. We're more than sophisticated animals. We're, we're, we're more than, you know, descending from, from other species and changing through macro evolution. Now, listen, it's garbage. It's not fact. And in all honesty, if you were to really do your homework, you would find that history agrees with the Bible. You would find that science agrees with the Bible. The one thing that refuses to agree with the Bible is philosophy. Philosophy. I started with a quote of an Enlightenment period philosopher. Well, there goes this shift in society. But being the image of God does not re refer to any ability that we possess. It's not our intelligence. It's not our ability to communicate. Not, not all these things that we share with animals that we just are a little bit more sophisticated in you know, and, and, and for obvious reasons and can see that, but it, it's just by nature of being human. Just by nature of being human means that you are an imager of God. And that starts as an embryo. You're an imager of God because you're the human species. Amen? I'm still treading on very controversial grounds here, but this is the word of God. Identity begins with the understanding that we are God's imagers. Nothing else defines us except who God says we are and us looking at him and reflecting who he is. And so a simple definition would be an imager represents God and his character. That's what it means to be an imager, to represent God and his character into the world in which we live. Now, how do I reorder my life around that definition, or if I take stock, what, what things are out of balance? 
Where is there disorder? Where do I need to reorder my life? And living each and every day as a representative of God and his character to my sphere of influence. An important question for all of us to ask. As I mentioned already, sin has marred the image of God in humanity. We lost what it meant to be truly human the day the enemy successfully deceived Adam and Eve. But God's original plan is still the plan. We will be his image on the earth to the point of him coming in the man Jesus Christ to show us just how to do that, to show us what it means to be truly human. Jesus is restoring all things, even though we abdicated our role when God placed us in the garden. So you are more than your accomplishments. You are not your failures. You're not defined by the opinions of others. You're not defined by what happened to you. You're more than just a nine-digit number. You're an imager of God. You're his representative on the earth. So where sin separates us from who we truly are as imagers, Jesus shows us how to become fully alive and restored to that image. So let's look at Jesus Christ. John 1, 1 through 3. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was fully God. The Word was with God in the beginning. All things were created by him, and apart from him not one thing was created that has been created. That's our Jesus. That's the Jesus of the Bible. Colossians 1.15, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Hebrews 1.3, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus is the exact representation, the express image of God. I love one theologian put it in this simple statement, Jesus is fully God and fully man in one person, and he is this way for all eternity. Romans 8, 28 and 30 says this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That's all of us, any that believe in Jesus. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. That's pretty amazing language that's going on right there, what he does for us as we're conformed into the image of the perfect son of God, to be the imagers of God that he designed us to be, we're glorified. We sing songs, there's an old song, be glorified, remember that one? We sing about him being glorified, and yes, indeed, we need to glorify him, but we bring glory to God when we live the way he designed us to. When a leaf falls in autumn off of a tree and hits the ground, it gives glory to God because he, de he designed everything to operate according to cycles and systems. It's amazing. Man, just, just by being who God created you to be is giving him glory. But then he wants to glorify us, bring us back to that place. We are called a royal priesthood in Scripture, a kingdom of priests. And we abdicated our role in the garden, but Jesus has restored us back 
to that place. Man, there's so many scriptures I could get into that talk about it. Psalm 8 is another great one. Man, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? He, he, he made us just a little bit lower than the angels, but he crowned us with glory and honor and put us in charge of all things. But then Paul tells us that one day, even though we're created a little bit lower than the angels, one day we will judge angels. That's the place that God's going to put us in as we live our lives completely committed to him in full surrender to him, allowing him to transform us and to conform us into the image of his son. There was a conversation that Jesus once had with his disciples. It can be found in John chapter 14, verse 9. And Philip emphatically says to Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus said to him, don't you know me? Don't you know me, Philip? Come on. You've been hanging out. You've been following me around. Man, I, I, I gave you authority over spirits and sicknesses and diseases. And you went out and you saw demons come out with trees. Don't you know me? Don't you know me, man? And then he says this, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. You want to get to know who you truly are? Your true identity? Get to know Jesus. Man, you've been a Christian for 30 years. Get to know Jesus. We can't know him enough. You know, Paul has a, a beautiful prayer to the Ephesians where he writes, I pray that you may have a spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know him better. Oh, God. Man, that's my prayer today for me. That's my prayer today for you, that for our church, that God would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we may know him better. So that Jesus doesn't say to you, don't you know me? Don't you know me? Don't you know who you are? 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Man, he takes us from glory to glory, from strength to strength, through the Spirit of God at work within us. So we need to continually yield to the Spirit of God in our life. We need to continually yield to His work, His Lordship. Man, being in community with other believers. You know, sometimes people can help us see things about ourselves that we can't see, and we need them to point out. We gotta do it in love, but in grace, in truth. But man, we need, you can't do that by yourself. You can't do that in your own daily devotions. Even though I believe the Holy Spirit can speak to us then, it's a lot easier to ignore Him though. We're trying to do it on our own. So where do you need to reorder your life today around this truth? That you are to represent God and his character to the world around you. That you are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. I'm going to close with this thought here in this scripture. I know it's been a lot of scriptures today and you guys have been so gracious, so awesome, just following me along in this. But there's nothing like the Word of God. Luke chapter 20, verse 22 and 25. We're going to look at this. It says, uh, and, and just to give some context, these are some Pharisees that are trying to trip up Jesus. They're trying to find a way to trap him. They're trying to find a way that they can bring accusation against him so that they can get rid of him. They don't like what he's going around saying and claiming to be. And so they, they ask him, is it right for us to pay the tribute tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their deceit and said to them, show me a denarius 
whose image and inscription are on it. You know, we're, we're familiar with that. We have that. I have here a quarter. We all know whose image is on this. George Washington, right? You never met George Washington. Never saw him in real life, but you know that this is George Washington. His image, his likeness, is on this. And so it's the same Greek word that's even used, and I read earlier from Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that Jesus is the exact representation of God. It's using the same, the same picture of, of an image on a coin. And Jesus is using this here. Whose image and whose inscription are on it? They answered him, Caesar's. So he said to them, then give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Now, Jesus was intentionally making a subtle yet powerful contrast here. Caesar's image on the denarius, it's on there so that he can lay claim to money through taxation. But God's image is on humanity so he can lay claim of each individual life. You belong to God. You belong to God. I belong to God. And he wants us to give ourselves completely to him. You know, there's scriptures that talk about to, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know, that can become confusing when you think, oh, do we have a spirit, soul, body, and well, what's, how do we separate those, whatever. That's not the point, I believe. I believe the point is to say God wants the totality of your being. He wants all of you, not just some of you, not just the part of you that you give him on Sunday, not just the part of you that you give him on Wednesday night. He wants all of you every day, completely, the totality of our being, and to trust him that he knows what he's doing. Man, I'm conforming you into the image of the Son. I'm transforming you into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. Will you allow him to do that in your life this week? Knowing who we are begins with knowing who he is. So where might we need to reorder our lives around the divine order, the divine design of God so that we can live each day as a representation of him and his character in our sphere of influence. We're going to be closing with communion today in just a moment where we identify in oneness with Jesus Christ. But before we do that, I'd like to give an opportunity for anybody that's here in this room today or perhaps watching online that you have never given your life to God and you're hearing the Holy Spirit prompt you today saying, give to God what's God's. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, man, why wait another moment? Today could be your day. Can we just take a moment and just close our eyes, bow our heads around this place. Believers be praying. The Holy Spirit's at work in this place. But if you're here and you know whether you've walked with God before and you know that you're not right with God and you want to rededicate your life or you've never made that full decision, you've never given over your life in full surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you've never confessed your faith in Him that He was crucified, died, and buried, He was risen again on the third day and exalted to the right hand of the Father in all power and authority, that He bore our sins upon Him, that the wages of sin is death, that the gift of God is eternal life, and He took our place on the cross, what our sin made us deserving of, and he took our place so that we could have life 
everlasting. If today you want to give your life to Jesus and confess that he's Lord in your life, would you raise your hand? We want to pray together. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Hallelujah. Thank you. Come on, let's pray together, church. Would you repeat after me? Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving your life for me. I confess my sins and I ask you to cleanse me. I believe that you have made me new through your death and resurrection. I believe that you are Lord and that you are God. Right now, I give myself back to you. Be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, can we celebrate for a moment? Those that raised their hand and made that decision. And if you've made that decision, we have a team of people that, that have uh, a bag just with the Bible, with other information, how to get plugged into the church, and how to grow in your walk with Christ. And we want to make sure that we get that to you. So you could raise your hand again if you'd like to do that, if, if you, and they'll find you right now. Or if perhaps you, you, you don't want to do that, that's okay, no problem. We, you can find us out in the atrium at the hub, and somebody would gladly help you. But listen, take the next step. Don't stop at this, all right? God bless you. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, let's take our communion. Everybody's got their communion cups. We just got a, a few minutes time here. I don't want to rush this, but I know the team is out here. Could you just, just lead us real quickly? Just get us focused on the cross as we head into this time of communion. And should this life bring suffering, Lord, I will remain. Calvary has brought for me both now and forever. And should this life bring suffering, Lord, I will remember what Calvary. Sing that out with us right now. Oh God, your soul, you thank you, Jesus. Oh God, your soul, your soul, good to me. Lord, we thank you for the scripture that says, Surely your goodness and your love shall follow us all the days of our life. Lord God, you are good, and you do good, and you are working all things together for good. God, we are so grateful to be caught up today in your goodness, in your faithfulness, God, in your loving kindness, in your compassion towards us, Lord. And you are slow to anger, but abounding in love, God. And we thank you that, that you call us your very own. And God, today, 
we, we recognize that apart from you we can do nothing and we thank you God that, that you paved the way for us through your own death through your own sacrifice Lord God that you Lord God for the joy set before you Lord God you endured the cross you endured the cross and scorned its shame when you rose again on the third day but God you you didn't avoid the suffering you walked right through it so God we know that you are present with us no matter what we face in this life we thank you that you are present with us on our darkest day and on the highest mountaintop God we thank you that you never leave us or forsake us the night that Jesus was betrayed he took the bread and he gave thanks for it so right now can we just give thanks for the body of Christ that was broken for us Lord we thank you Thank you. Let's partake together. And after the bread, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. It was costly. And you know, for us to live our lives as imagers of God, it's costly. It's going to cost us something at some point in time. We have brothers and sisters around the world that even now have given their lives because of their faith in Jesus. We, we were blessed to live in a nation where that's not a concern for us. We face trials of different kinds. But man, aren't you grateful for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us of all unrighteousness, for the blood of Jesus that by his stripes we are healed. This is a new covenant, a better covenant. It's marked with his grace, his compassion, his love, that whosoever will to the Lord may come, that all that believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So God, we thank you. We thank you that you held nothing back, but you gave your all. And so we say that we give our all back to you. We give back to God what is rightfully his. And we ask you to help us to be the divine imagers that you've designed us to be and to help administer your rule, your dominion, and your order into the world in which we live until Jesus returns again to make things new once and for all. So God, we thank you for your blood. Let's receive.